0: Case file number 2.12, Gorilla Logging. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action, as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last ten years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to
1: hacking the Gibson.
0: Uh, the accounting subdirector the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker hacker. So let me ask you a question. Remember the Paul Bunyan uh, cartoon? I guess, was it technically a movie? It was like a cartoon movie. Like, I don't think it was that long. But yeah, with uh, Old Blue and everything like that.
1: Oh, yeah. I yeah. I remember seeing that as a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. They babysat us with, uh, with films when I was in daycare.
0: <laughs> I actually, I had a friend when I was living uh, on the East Coast whose uh, mother was very religious and she would edit all Disney films. And... He always wondered why the Little Mermaid never actually had Ariel in the, the film. Because she did not want him seeing uh, her in a shell bra. But the reason I bring up uh, Paul Bunyan is because today we're going to be talking about logging. Excellent. And mostly centralized logging for that matter. Very permanent because this is what I've been freaking spending most of my time on for the past uh, two or three weeks as we go through an audit. But <laughs> I figured this, this will be more of a... Um, not super introductory but more more of a uh, like intro intro course for like college students and stuff like that
1: okay so so I shouldn't be thinking about all the stuff that I've tackled for PCI compliance for fortune 500 companies then
0: no we should, we, should probably, we should talk about that as well
1: oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it but let's, yeah, yeah. But let's talk through let's talk through the whole thing because I, I Probably at the point where where the stuff that I'm talking about is either ancient or <laughs> so in the weeds that that I can't communicate to, to normal humans anymore.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure I'll go on a few tangents as well about um, how I have to deal with logging in my environment and some of the craziness. But the starting off, the basic definition of logging is just literally the act of keeping logs. There's always been a lot of debate over how much detail you want to have in those logs, and it really just comes down to a disk space versus not having enough info in your logs. I mean, yeah. If if you're generating basically just like logs that have the system name and the word error in them, like you're getting no benefit out of that whatsoever. Yeah. But if you're making them crazy verbose and it's like, you know, a war and peace novel every time the system logs to your centralized logging server, you're just going to, you know, fill the disk space way too fast.
1: Yeah. Well, also, sometimes you just have too much ingest too fast, too much stuff coming over the wire, let alone disk space.
0: Exactly, and I'll get to it like really quickly here, but you know, most logging is UDP. So you don't have that guaranteed, hey, it got there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so a lot of ingest, a lot of packets getting dropped and you might just miss out on some key events. And there's a huge benefit to logging just when it comes to troubleshooting code and applications. I'm sure you've run into this many times of trying to install a piece of software on a system and it doesn't like do any sort of verbose logging yeah. or you can't figure out where the hell the developer decided to log things because it sure shit wasn't var log.
1: Or on the other side of things for like everything Java, they'll just dump the, the uh, Java code the, the Java error message. Oh,
0: uh, I, I hate that. Where you want like, oh, like
1: one, you, you want one sentence out of, you know, what, yeah, what yeah. seems like 10 pages of, of, of error message that means nothing. And it's like, where's the one thing I need to know?
0: <laughs> exactly. I'm Like just looking at some of their logs and I'm like, I'm not a Java developer. I don't know how to interpret this. And it's like 300 lines. And there's something in there that will tell me like why the application crashed.
1: Well, to your earlier point, Logs aren't just how many you're logging, but also the size of the log. And logs like that are like ten times the size of mm-hmm. a relatively simple syslog message.
0: Yeah, and on the flip side of that, I have encountered applications that will literally just log, hey, the application crashed. And that and that's their verbose logging. <laughs>
1: Do they have a debug level?
0: <laughs> yeah. Like like how how much more logging can I get going on here?
1: Well, I mean, maybe this is the spot to talk about the, the traditional levels of logging.
0: Yeah, we, yeah, we can talk about that.
1: Since we're talking about verbose versus debugging.
0: Yeah, I mean, um just for like the syslog uh, messages, they have multiple levels. Um, you know, you have your emergency messages, system unavailable, unusable alert messages that you know actually needs to be taken immediately. And then you have critical, error, warning, notification, informational, and debugging. And even within that, a lot of applications will allow you to like debugging levels of like one, two, three, four, and yeah. just however both you want to get.
1: Yeah. I just think the syslog levels are important to keep in mind because a lot of a lot of folks come from a Unix world and mm-hmm. the programmers still use those names for their logging level, even if they have nothing to do with syslog.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, another key thing is while setting up the application, having debug logs and all that stuff going is great. Once it's up and running, it, it, there's no issues going on with that application. You you can tone it down because one, you might just be giving away too much information about that application. Yeah, and like that's a great way of um, figuring out like what type of web server someone's running. Um, hitting it that
1: way. Yeah, there's some information disclosure issues there, but Mm -hmm. it's a good point to know that you can change your your levels and going to a debugging level when you're debugging is not the worst idea ever. In fact, a lot of tech support calls you'll get will ask for something like that in many cases.
0: Yeah, I would say like two people like starting out in this career field, logs are they've saved my life so many times. Like there's been so many times that just looking at a log and Still to this day, I, I'm I'm guilty of, you know, forgetting to look at the log for a good hour and being very frustrated and then finally looking at it and being like, well, shit, there it is.
1: That is the fourth law of tech support because nobody ever looks at their logs. Mm-hmm. Stuff yep, works better yep. when it's plugged in, stuff works better when it's turned down, when in doubt, reboot and always check your logs.
0: Yep, exactly. <laughs> yep, And it always takes like another cup of coffee or, you know, some swearing to get to that point. It's like, oh crap, yeah, this is... Of course, it would be this.
1: The number of times that I've got an incident as like a firewall guy and something isn't working and it's like, I don't know what's happening. It might be us. It might be you. But what are your logs saying? And it's not, oh, we didn't look. It's we have logs. Like,
0: <laughs> like wait, crap. How do I
1: access this? Like, I get that you skipped past that. Mm-hmm. That is my life. But that you didn't know where to find them. <laughs>
0: Just this week, I dealt with this where someone was saying that the network latency to his system was too large and was causing him issues of connecting to the system. And I told him, everyone else seemed to be doing fine, but like, you know, send me your logs for the application so I could see why your thing's crashing. He had no idea where to find them and just basically stopped talking to me. Also, is, is, the, is the fifth rule, uh, it's probably DNS?
1: Uh, actually, the fifth rule is packet captures never lie, but okay. it's probably DNS is a solid one for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh I'll have to think about that as I'm carving the next stone tablet. <laughs>
0: uh, anyways, uh another another reason to do centralized logging is basically just because um it's almost required for any government agency, I think any business um, to follow audit policies.
1: Also a lot of compliance stuff, HIPAA, PCI, uh anything related to Sarbanes Oxley, it's not explicitly required within the within the law, but the law basically says, hey. CFO, you're criminally liable if stuff's wrong. And all the consultants ever have said, you better do your logging so that you can prove that somebody was at least trying.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, usually usually it's like a year, maybe two years. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've seen like a year of like warm hot logs um, to have that ready to go in case there's an incident. And then sometimes have up to like five years of backed up logs on tape drives or something like that you could probably access.
1: And that's one of the things that's actually really good about the, the last few years is not just that you can do that by uploading it to Amazon or, or, or another cloud storage provider, but they also have basically pseudo offline storage. Uh, Amazon, which I know just because I've had a lot of experience with it, it has a system called Glacier, yeah, yeah, yeah. which you can store a ton for cheap. You can bring it back on, I think it was a 24 hour delay or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And they charge you for bringing it back but you're you can really extend your retention dollar, and I'm not just saying hey you're an enterprise. I'm saying, just like the the site for for this and and uh, and a few other things that I've done, my Amazon spend on a per month basis is under a buck at this point. You can do a lot of stuff for almost free as a home tinkerer.
0: Yeah, yeah, we were looking into Glacier for one of my missions just because they have like 50 terabytes of data they want to keep yeah. dating back to the 70s, and I told them like. It, you're not needing to pull it down, you know, routinely. We'll throw it up here and you're like, it'll be there. Just keep in mind that it'll, it'll be a few thousand dollars or more to pull it all down if you
1: need it. Right. But let me tell you, if, you're, if you want off-site to someplace like Iron Mountain, it's going to cost you even more.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And beyond just the auditing reasons for centralized logging and just logs in general, it also just reduces a ton of the trouble tickets, uh, downtime, and promotes preventative troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're actually looking at the logs that are coming in and you properly set up alerts and stuff that I'll talk about later, um, you can be alerted when a system is, you know, getting to the point where it may crash or something's going wonky. Mm -hmm. And so that way you're not called in at like 2 a.m. in the morning because the web server crashed and you could have addressed that before you have gone home for the day.
1: Yeah, and uh, from a security operations context, you'll get indicators of, of a particular threat known ips no domains related to threats that have occurred and you want to look back a week or sometimes longer to see whether or not those things occurred. that all of that can be in various pieces of your logs
0: exactly and uh, my next point is with centralized logging you can also just get a nice correlated view of all the log data in one location yeah as opposed to going system to system to review each log which is tedious and does not give you the the whole picture of everything
1: i would argue that once you get above a couple of dozen systems it becomes untenable
0: yeah easily
1: even when you have some decent scripting
0: especially if you have you know multiple systems like in like a redundant network and stuff like that and just yeah. trying to troubleshoot that is a huge pain in the ass but um the basic components of syslog servers is you know just a listening port usually syslog uh just reports over port 514 doing a uh, udp mm-hmm. now there's some issues with that because i can't i think it's anything other under um is it 1535 or something like that any ports under there root has to be able or you have to have root access
1: it's 1024 traditional is it
0: 1024 yeah. um yeah and i only know that because i tried to use uh, 514 with a product we'll talk about later named uh called gray log Mm-hmm. but because Greylog, i don't want it to run with root permissions i had to change the port number
1: there's other linux ways around that where where mm-hmm. you can delegate that per- permission or the more traditional way there are better ways of doing it now but yeah. the more traditional way was is to have the service start as root allocate the port and then change the um the user to a less privileged user
0: right right and usually usually you have a database on these types of servers to store you know the massive amount of logs you're getting for quick access i the the basic, basic syslog server that I've seen is literally just a flat file syslog server mm-hmm. where the logs just get shipped over and just stored in a directory. Yeah. But again, that that's a that's a lot of logs and if you have, you know, forty, fifty systems all reporting in, you, at some point is yeah, like you said, it's gonna be untenable to yeah. Look through all of that. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, that's when we moved from the old school regular syslog, just listen on a port, and you only had up to seven logging facilities to stuff like syslog-ng that lets you put in rules on like a per-host basis and stuff like that.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: don't know if you were going to get to some of that.
0: I, I, I have not played around with syslog-ng at all.
1: Well, syslog-ng is a great solution as an open source solution, but there's a lot of commercial products that, that, uh, that do similar things. Mm. Uh, I worked with a Kiwi syslog, uh, that was used on the windows platform a while ago that had a lot of the same features. In fact, I was impressed when I worked with syslog ng, that it had a lot of the things that I had relied on with Kiwi.
0: Okay. Yeah. The, the only knowledge I have of syslog ng is just, it was one of the many things that popped up when I was looking for a centralized logging, um, back when I first started with NASA, like, years ago.
1: Yeah, it's a powerful tool, and if you need something free, well, free in the open source way, where open source is only free if your time has no value.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I've introduced Linux to Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. I'm an open source advocate, but know what you're actually getting.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, sometimes it's just, it's better to just pay the piper and... And get the support and everything. And sometimes even going back to the audit thing, a lot of missions that I've worked for, they want to have that sort of enterprise deal with someone else so that if something goes wrong, they have someone basically to blame.
1: Yeah, well, and I think that it's worth making the argument that there's a continuity of things, that it's not just open source software and elbow grease versus <clears throat> vendor software and support and stuff. There's vendor software that still requires a lot of configuration. There's stuff where the open source solution is the most well known solution and it's most supported even if you can pay for it the people that know this stuff the people that can help you with new techniques and and solving your problems are all using the open source solution and there's systems where there, there's situations where the where the vendor is everything and you and going in that direction is the right thing to do because that's what everybody else uses it's where you can find the people it's where you can find the solutions
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah and uh, on top on top of just the database um, and everything, like you said with uh, Syslog NG and stuff, a lot of them have some sort of management or filtering software. Mm-hmm. Just so it's not just you know just huck my logs at the server and just dump them in this directory and be done with it.
1: And I would say that Syslog NG is a lot better at huck the stuff in this in, into a directory. There is some filtering possible, but it's mm. not necessarily the right thing to do. Anything but the most basic filtering.
0: Does syslog-ng have um, a method of extracting uh, things from the logs? Like, are you able to do searches through the logs to pull?
1: Syslog-ng is a syslog server uh-huh. where you can do a lot of redirecting with the syslog log feed. Uh-huh. Um, you can use it as a relay mechanism, so you can have like a syslog-ng server that is your you know log at mydomain.com uh-huh. uh, or whatever within your network. Uh, or mydomain.local and then it acts as a traffic cop and saying okay everything that's a that is this kind of system that's in whatever rules you have you know whether it's based on the system name or whatever goes in this direction it goes directly to something behind it and it relays it transparently or it can log that stuff into a separate file for each system or all that stuff into the same file or it can do Multiple things like that. Mm. It acts as a traffic cop, but it's logging everything into a flat file. And then that rule system, you have some filtering ability, but it's mostly basically regular expression kind of rules. And you don't want to manage too many of them. You're not trying to do any kind of field extraction generally. That being said, you can do things where you can filter stuff and use one of their facilities to log directly into a database. I've never seen anybody actually use it that way, but I do know it's in the feature set. Hmm,
0: That was kind of cool. I'll have to look into it a little bit more. Anyways, uh, so what is Syslog? Syslog was basically just designed to monitor network devices and systems and send out notification messages if there were any issues. It was initially written by Eric Allman and defined in RFC three one six four. And since 2009, Syslog has been standardized by the IETF and RFC 5424. And there's three logs to the Syslog standard. Uh, There's Syslog content, which is information contained in the event message. There's Syslog application, which generates, interprets, routes, and stores messages. And then there's Syslog transport, which obviously just transmits the messages. On top of this, applications can be configured to send messages to multiple destinations, like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. There's uh, also alarms to give instant notification for hardware failures, application failures, misconfigurations, and a whole bunch of other stuff. I don't know if syslog ng I assume you can write rules also like for alerts and whatnot or
1: generally, I haven't used it that way. It's always been the kind of core collection mechanism. In fact, I have a fair bit of experience with Splunk mm-hmm. recently and we use syslog-ng in in one of the architectures that I was most involved with, as the receiver of all of that syslog information, and then that information gets passed to the actual ingest for Splunk. Right. To separate receiving from the ingest indexing stuff that uh, where you can do that centralized searching and alerting right. stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: That, from our point of view, let us preserve the flat files for both log retention because they're the smallest they're going to be at that point Mm -hmm. and um give us kind of a place to fall back to if we went with a different logging solution or we have a complete failure of Splunk we can at least analyze the flat files or re-ingest them into something else
0: no that makes sense it's a good thing you have experience with Splunk because uh (laughs) Splunk is something I'll touch on sure but I don't Really use Splunk, so I won't talk about it much.
1: Well, I mean, for for the kind of stuff that you're talking about, we're using any kind of elk stack based stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like Graylog, that kind of architecture isn't the worst idea when you start to scale up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about uh, like the whole elk stack here in a second, but before that, just for the, the syslog format, um, it's ha- it has a standard definition of log messages, and that's also defined in RFC five four two four. People want to go dig through that and look at it. Mm-hmm. It is composed of a header, a structured data, um, SD and a message. Within the header, you see descriptions of types like priority, version, timestamp, host name, application, process ID, message ID. Mm -hmm. After that, it's your structured data, which have blocks in basically the key equals value uh, format. And that that shows up usually within square brackets. And after the SD, you'll see a detailed log message, which is usually encoded in a UTF-8.
1: Yeah, but a lot of stuff doesn't frankly, follow that standard particularly closely. They'll have the header messages and then just throw stuff in plain text.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, I love, I've seen that so many times.
1: Well, I mean, that's what you're gonna normally see, but Mm -hmm. on the other side, it gives you, it lets you use your best friend in Unix
0: grab. Yep, exactly. And just some issues for, uh, for tracking, obviously just like user issues, hard disk crashes, security breach, Um, stuff like that, and one main thing is knowing where the logs are actually being located, like I talked about earlier, you know, var log is going to hold all the system logs, but for certain applications, they love to just log really wherever the hell they feel like, obviously where the developer wrote them to write
1: like you'll have opt product slash var. Yep, yep, and yep. That's now logging all in your opt direct your in your opt volume. Yep, i have seen that. And if you're running Unix systems of any size, you're still probably want to separate some of your volumes. And that's why, if you're using kind of standard Linux implementation, and I know you know mm-hmm. this, they'll have a var volume, and it looks like it don't it won't use very much volume, but your logs can get big fast depending on what you're doing.
0: Yeah, they can get very big, and in in that mindset there there is log rotation settings that you can set in your rsyslog.com file. And yeah, that is one of the CIS benchmark uh things that will like get you flagged is if var is not a separate partition. Yeah. And I mean nowadays disk space is relatively cheap, so sometimes I don't separate out the partition. But sometimes I do. It it all depends on like what I know the system will be doing.
1: Yeah. Well, like you were saying, centralized logging can mean that you're not storing your logs locally or your rotation on the local logs is very fast. Yeah, exactly. Because you're expecting to ship it over to your centralized logging system. And that's the dreaded word system of record. (laughs) And then you just need enough time to save yourself if if you uh, stop receiving logs from an endpoint.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you you talked about elk uh, before Mm -hmm. and elk, obviously stands for Elasticsearch plus Logstash plus Kibana. And I don't know, have you have you played around with Logstash or Kibana?
1: Yeah, some. Uh, in one of the places I was at uh, that actually ended up going to Splunk, I uh, mm-hmm. used a Elk stack-based solution. And <laughs> it's like a lot of open source stuff, in my opinion, where you have – a ton of options and you can make bad choices. And yeah, yeah, you can. The, the vendor that we got from part of the reason why the, why the, my customer decided to leave them had mm-hmm. to do with some poor choices, at least in my opinion, that, that the vendor made. And I'm not going to get into some of the elk stuff. Mm. I, so very quick, very quickly about elk there, the, you'll hear the words map reduce. What map reduce is basically saying is that I can tell the computer to, separate out a bunch of uh, the same job into smaller jobs that go over in a log perspective. It's different time periods of the same search space, searching for the same stuff and then combine it at the end. That's the reduced part. Huh. If you don't set up your Elk stack in order to be able to separate things out that way, it's called sharding. Uh-huh. You can run yourself into some performance problems. If you're using a big centralized system and you're getting a bunch of different kinds of logs, and you have a bunch of system logs that aren't going to have IP addresses in. you have a bunch of firewall logs which do have IP addresses in them, you want to be able to only search through the stuff that has IP addresses in it when you're looking for an IP address. And if you don't shard those two things from each other, you're going to be spending a lot more CPU time, a lot more disk time searching through logs that aren't going to be germane to what you're asking.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Elasticsearch is just, it's an open source um, analytics engine for all types of data uh raw data flows into Elasticsearch from multiple sources, logs, system metrics, web apps, like you said, firewalls, everything can be fed into it. And it's ingested. I believe I once read that Elasticsearch came about because the the person who wrote it uh wrote it as a way to store his wife's um cooking recipes because she just had a ton of them. <laughs> and it just kind of is just snowballed from there. And now it's it's used by a lot of um yeah a lot of organizations.
1: Are you gonna talk about horizontal versus vertical databases at all?
0: I will not because I'm not a, da- a database person, but you can. you can go for it.
1: So in the dark days of history, which kind of we're still at the tail end of, uh, a traditional SIM would use a relational database. They would make this giant table usually, sometimes a bunch, a few related tables that tried to squeeze every kind of log there was into an explicit set of columns and then just put stuff where it needed to go. But it limited you to the columns you already built and it put everything in the same table right and that's a horizontal database what we have with the elk world and the splunk world is what's called a vertical database where each record as long as it has a couple of required fields to index on is going to have any fields it wants in kind of a j in a json format Uh and now What that means effectively from a logging point of view is that every particular kind of event, every particular from any particular source is going to have a field set that is going to be the same with all of its friends, but Mm. might be different. Uh, For example, Palo Alto has traffic logs, which are the firewall allow-deny stuff, and they have threat logs, which get their URL stuff and all their IDS stuff. Those different kinds of logs have different field sets, even if they're stored in the same index. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they have a lot of fields in common too source ip destination ip that kind of thing yeah so it means that that you don't have to define what you're storing before you store it is one of the great advantages you don't have to think that far ahead uh-huh. and you're not constrained by the decisions that you previously made there's other technical stuff that make this whole idea, at least for, th- for problems like logging way better than trying to cram it all into a relational database. And that was really the big leap forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Cause <laughs> I have made many decisions that I've regretted like months or years later when I look back at it and been like, crap, there's no way I can like hammer this thing into this other thing and make it work.
1: I've rewritten the same set of firewall analysis code like four times because of stuff like that.
0: Yep. I've rebuilt some systems just because of that. And always always without people like I'll just build up the system alongside the other one in parallel. And then at night when no one's watching, swap them. Magic. Yep. It's like nothing happened.
1: Same IP, same host name. What do you think? Nothing changed. No, no. Exactly. Let me see what's going on there. Maybe if I reboot it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the ingestion for Elasticsearch uh, takes the data and parses, normalizes, enriches it before it actually gets uh, indexed by it. Uh, once it's indexed into Elasticsearch, users can run complex queries against the data, and they can use aggregation to pull complex summaries of that data. Mm-hmm. So an index is just a collection of documents related to each other. And like you were saying, Elasticsearch, uh, Elasticsearch stores that data as JSON documents. Uh, each one correlates a set of key with their values. And it uses that data structure called an inverted index, uh, which is designed to allow fast full text searches. And this is one of the really fun things that I've been able to do with like just gray log with the Elasticsearch backend is um it's, it's very like snappy and um doing a trade study um that I was just reading like different people's opinions on Splunk versus Elasticsearch. One of the Criticism someone had about Splunk was that the more and more logs you get, the slower and slower it will be at mm-hmm. querying through them. Where that Elasticsearch is usually, if you, like you were saying, if you've sharded everything properly, is much faster of pulling things, like no matter how many logs you have.
1: Yeah. Splunk basically makes a lot of the sharding decisions for you. Mm. So, one way you can mitigate, and I will only say mitigate, that scaling problem that you're talking about is by being pretty careful about how you're bringing stuff in and how the indexer deals with it. Mm -hmm. For example, going back to that traffic versus threat log, if you put those two in their own indexes, rather than having them in the same index, uh, you can reduce some of the load because that allows you to essentially shard those two into different shard sets. And that makes a difference, but you don't get to make that decision explicitly you have to kind of know what splunk's going to do and then bring that in and it's not always obvious i feel every time i have to do a new thing in splunk i'm start i'm almost starting from scratch i it hasn't been nearly as easy for me to get up to speed on all of the ins and outs of splunk as any of the previous sims that i've worked with right it's a very complex system allowing you to do a lot of stuff. Um, I have a tough time between Elk and Splunk. I have many opinions on the subject that would be an entirely too far of a digression, even for, <laughs> even for this podcast.
0: Yeah. And I will say, too, like you were saying, like there's, there's a lot of learning that goes into this. And when I started on my first few missions, I was, like, they didn't have centralized logging. I was the one that implemented it. And I was fresh out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a lot of pains. Like the very first thing I put together was an elk stack. And I think I had to put three or four iterations of that together until I got one that like functioned properly. Mm-hmm. And then I found Greylog and swapped immediately to that cause it was basically just kind of like an enterprise tool that did the exact same thing that I was looking for. And at the time it was fully open source. Um, I'll talk about that more in a little bit. Yeah,
1: but that's actually a, a really good lesson and it's something that 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 I try and do is anytime I'm getting into a new thing I try and implement the open source version as a proof of concept mm-hmm. before I try and pay for something or go into a more constrained solution because it makes me a better consumer makes me make better decisions when I make when I actually go and upsize things
0: yeah you know and you know exactly what you're looking for at that yeah. point cuz you're like hey this open source thing could do xy and you know p but i'm looking mm-hmm. for like you know all these other letters to fit the bill as well. Mm -hmm. So the obviously the E stood for Elasticsearch and ELK. The L is Logstash, and that's just a tool that's used to aggregate and process data and send it over to Elasticsearch. It just cares about basically like shipping the data around. Uh, It's a server-side data processing pipeline that enables you to ingest data from multiple sources, enrich it, transform it um, before it gets indexed by Elasticsearch.
1: Is that the parse, Is that where parsing occurs? Because that's the way I remember it. But I don't rely on more, the way that I remember. I, it.
0: I believe so. It's been a long time since I played with Logstash, and it's also it's also one of the components that you, like you can drop out and put your own in there for mm-hmm. um, moving logs around. So like I've like I would imagine SlogNG could fit the bill here.
1: I think uh, this probably is the level that Cribble works at. Um, I hear they're advertising all the time for making yeah. your splunk more efficient. But it is worth noting that if you can encourage whatever you're logging to log in a JSON format, you have to do less of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and JSON's J- J- just awesome for parsing through and pulling things down by the the API that Elasticsearch has and everything. Yeah. Another thing to keep in mind is that the API for Elasticsearch, I believe the last time I checked, is open and it's open by default. I can't remember if it has to be open or not, or if there's a way to close that off. But obviously, you, you don't want your uh, API open to the the world to just, you know, poke at.
1: Yeah, but I'm pretty sure every front end leverages that API. I'm pretty sure you that your front end has to be able to access the API.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And then the K in Elk is Kibana. And that's just a data visualization and management tool that um, Elasticsearch can use. You, know, you can generate a just crap ton of dashboards on there and get yourself, you know, some funky and awesome looking histograms, graphs, charts, and everything. And great great for management because management loves to see pie charts and whatnot. And it's good just um, to glance at and get a good idea of visually what's going on.
1: Yeah. Well, when you're trying to deal with gigs of data at a time, being able to aggregate on multiple uh, fields and stuff like that Mm -hmm. is really important. And I've definitely used Kibana for doing that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I I use Kibana for a whole host of different things. Um, Obviously, I don't use it for those because I use Graylog and they have their own dashboard. But I do use it for something called Prometheus, which I do a lot of SNMP uh, data gathering for and feed it all to that. And I think the best thing about Kibana is just the community is just crazy and how many dashboards they've created for literally everything. And uh, you can just go on there, pull down a dashboard, They, you know, think by Just pop it right in and then just, you know, tweak it a little bit and you're up and running instead of having to reinvent the entire wheel. And that's probably my favorite thing about like open source software.
1: Yeah, well, it's probably worth mentioning going back to the, my, my earlier point, because so many organizations have ended up with Splunk uh, Splunk base, their they're hosted uh, kind of contributor site and some other resources like the subreddit r slash Splunk uh-huh. have a lot of similar uh, help. We actually found some stuff related to DNS on one of my projects where we were using the length of the DNS queries that were over, uh, I think, 20 characters to try and give us a potential way to find botnet activity
0: Oh, okay that's cool
1: because a lot at the time a lot of domain generation algorithms uh generated the same length mm. of domain names even even though they were gobbledygook <laughs> i do know that that is that that is less confident in indicator nowadays and i can tell you that that technique caught an awful lot of content delivery networks interesting <laughs> yeah
0: huh. like does Splunk have like the plug-in um community as well
1: that's what Splunk base is mostly the plugin community. Okay, okay. Uh, The dashboards are usually, uh, are usually shared via basically app. Mm. I probably should put my, put some focus on looking at what some of the things the Kibana community comes up with, because I imagine that they're a lot more adventurous and maybe a little bit more, you know, nutty. And I, I like nutty.
0: There, there's some crazy cool dashboards that I've seen uh, people do like very, very unique. And, uh, interesting things that they can gather and like customize like the uh the view and like even like animate it and stuff like that and along with just you know obviously getting your graphs from kibana and everything you can you can set it up you know it has multiple levels of authentication and user access so what i usually do is i can allow my users to create their own dashboards and then restrict them on what data sources they can actually access Mm -hmm. so obviously i don't want like you know someone that's not in security to be viewing a security data source. And so I can restrict that down. It's really good at tying back to um, uh, central authentication with Active Directory. That's one of the main things because I use AD a lot is when I look at products, how easy it is to tie back. Mm -hmm. If it requires me to like have this advanced LDAP search string and all this other craziness, um, it makes Mm -hmm. me frown and have a sad face. Yeah. And, you know, it's usually easily easy to figure out. Um, I will say one of the most annoying things is going back to logs and verbose debugging is that a lot of web applications that I've used that tie back into AD. When you try to tie it in, AD will not work. And trying to find the logs as to why it's not working, super bonus points for grade log. It literally just has a test connection button mm-hmm. right there and you click it and see if it works, and if it doesn't, it dumps the logs right there in the um, the web uh, console to show you what's going on.
1: To grow on that, I can tell you that dealing with, with uh, various single sign-on solutions, everything tying back to AD or, or, or Azure AD, mm-hmm. each of those different systems may all authenticate to what is essentially the same user store, but you will have different logs for basically every type of authentication, possibly for every different application. You'll have not just a different log, but a different kind of log. And it can be very difficult if you're not doing a pretty good job of making sure all of your fields kind of line up to do a search for a single user across all of the single sign-on applications that they're getting into.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, also just an added point for Kibana is that it's really easy to reverse proxy. Like I when I was setting up my reverse proxy, like this was one of the first ones that I tied it back into, and it was very simple. Even using Apache as a reverse proxy, which going going back to making decisions and then kind of regarding them a little bit later is that I set mm-hmm. up my reverse proxy with Apache and should have been Nginx. X, but oh well, yeah. maybe, maybe at some point I'll rebuild it yet again. It'll be like the third time.
1: As long as the users never notice.
0: And so another thing, uh, actually, I'll get into Graylog right now. So Gray Graylog is just it's kind of open source, but there's um, it's gone through a few iterations, and it used to be just com- completely free, and then you could play uh, pay for the enterprise, uh, which I think gave you more storage, and uh, you were able to ingest more logs and whatnot. Now. Um, like I'm taking I'm taking a few of those brownie points away from Grey Log is that the LDAP and the central authentication has been integrated into the enterprise version. They used to come just with the um the free version. And so that was that was kind of sad to see. Um as a plus though, enterprise is free up to five gigs for gray log, so you can kind of get all that stuff. And if you if you stay under the five gigs, which doesn't seem like that much, but it depends how much logging you're doing.
1: Well and and that's a good point. Like um, if you're using something like snort for your IDS or you're, you're logging things that don't occur a a ton of times, security detections being, being kind of the easiest thing, you're not going to get very many logs and you're not going to hit that five gigs, but firewall logs, you're going to do many orders of magnitude more than that number of hits.
0: Oh, as soon as I pushed or started pushing the firewall logs to grade log. That's when we bought our 10 gig uh, enterprise license. Right. And, yeah, it, it just jumped astronomically.
1: And I'm not going to go through the whole like sim design work process, but every different kind of uh, of event source is going to be somewhere on the continuum of probably between firewalls and IDSs. Those <clears> are kind <throat> of the two ends of the of the spectrum. And there's all, all kinds of stuff in the, in between. And what you expect to be able to do, is pretty much limited to that. If you are running a handful of Linux systems and you're just sending your your system logs to a gray log to work on that and maybe mm. figuring out how to uh, how to export your uh, your Windows log event logs to the, to the same thing, you might be okay, especially if you do some filtering to just security-based logs. But if you start putting your web server logs or your firewall logs in there, you're gonna be using an order of magnitude or even a couple of order, orders of magnitude more disk space.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I want to, so I believe it's still like this. I haven't looked in a while, but Greylog does come um or does offer an appliance, like just straight up, just a .ova appliance you could pull down and just install and get up and running. It's got its own like little um custom Linux kernel running on it with some Graylog commands and whatnot for setting up the back end. But it also just installs super easy on Linux. It just requires you to set up MongoDB and Elasticsearch yourself and then install Greylog. And then you're pretty much up and running. And like we talked about previously, knowing how to set up your shards and set up um, a lot of the other stuff. That's where you'll you'll play around and realize, oh crap, I just royally screwed this up and have to go back in or even rebuild, rebuild your Greylog uh, at some point because yeah. I have definitely had to do that.
1: I think it's worth thinking about instead of redoing your data ingest, just say, okay, I made my mistakes and I'm just, I'm going to move, I'm going to move over, especially if you're doing everything in a virtualized environment, mm-hmm. you know, you know, going back to the, to the architecture I was talking about where you have an ingest server and then you have all of your Elasticsearch stuff. You change things about how you're indexing and how you're sharding. You can point that to a different uh, virtual machine transparently for to everything else. Right, yeah. And then, you know, just say, all right, I've got, shards that di- that i that weren't really suited for the data earlier than this point mm-hmm. and then just and let it age out
0: yeah 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 i've done that the last time i had to rebuild Greylog was um thanks to ibm and canceling centos so that was that was that was great and gray log it, it does support like a multi-node setup and so you know you can have your your web front end and then like you know your actual processing and ingest and everything um on a separate vm just if things get crazy yeah. hectic and uh resource allocation is an issue mm mm-hmm. and on top of that it's it's very easy to um once you get the web front end running and you log in um it comes with basically just a dashboard and a stream for all of your logs beyond that you can create your own streams your own dashboards you can add users and put them into specific teams so that only they can see like certain streams and then create all of your events, your notifications and alerts based on those streams and all in one um, little uh, shop.
1: It actually sounds a lot easier to set up a, a small to even medium size environment than a lot of stuff that I've had to wrestle with over the years. Yeah. I think my, my,
0: my one issue when I was playing around with Splunk is like the universal forwarders and everything like that, because I use Ansible to configure all my systems. And it's doable. You can push out the forwarders to all the systems, install them, get everything configured and everything. But for me, it was easier just to go into my Rsyslog syslog configuration and just add the Splunk server and the parameters that I wanted and restart the Syslog service. And that was, that was it, I was done. So much, much easier. And great. Greylog has a, um, a log format called GELF, which is just Graylog log extended log format. And that was created to deal with some of the shortcomings of Syslog such as the uh, 1024 byte length that Syslog has. Uh, GELF has the fields of um, host timestamp version, long and short version of the message. And it allows you to just configure um, any other fields you want in there. And it allows you to chunk your messages since uh, UDP datagrams can't exceed uh, 8,192 bytes, you can just chunk all those logs and um, using the GEL format and it can be reassembled on the other side and uh, set up properly. Another note that I have here is that a Windows, Windows Event Viewer is a horrible piece of shit. And like you were talking about before, um, having different logs from different applications and being really hard to track down stuff, from a Windows side of things. Using the event viewer and trying to look through there is mind-boggling hard at points.
1: So I can tell you that I've had to do, um, I was dealing with an air-gapped system that needed some analysis done because of potentially suspicious actions by one of the authorized users. And I had to do that through entirely PowerShell commands. I spent basically a day and a half groveling up a bunch of PowerShell recipes so that i could view those logs and look at the behavior uh directly from the event logs oh really that were stored in their active directory it was i mean and this was a very small system this is why i say that once you get outside of a scale of the number of systems that you can get to know personally Mm -hmm. it might as well be impossible to analyze every system's individual logs because the tools become very difficult you are essentially asking a something very close to a full forensic examination of the system, and that is very labor intensive, even if you have the right tools.
0: Yeah, and I will say, um, like someone listening to this that's an actual like Windows admin is going to be screaming at me, but just a user logging in, like on Linux, is a simple like one to two logs of like you know, username logged in, blah blah blah. On Windows, it's like seven or eight events, and like they're not all the same event ID of just like a logon event was created. And the next one is like specifically for that user. But then like another one is correlated to that. And it's just.
1: There's even more complexity than because you can, there are different kinds of authentication. There's Kerberos or regular SMB. There's Mm -hmm. there's application layer authentication. Uh, One thing that I was dealing with at one point is there's various windows services that will log in under the host's user identity rather than the user's user identity. Um, It becomes very hard to trace things out. In fact, as an engineer who's trying to design things for analysts that are even green right out of school or at right out of their security plus training, explaining that stuff layer by layer is quite difficult. And it's been a challenge to design dashboards that let them see just the things that will help them identify real problems rather than just drowned under logs.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, just one point before I talk about that is one thing that I found for Windows that's really good for shipping logs to Graylog log or really to anything that you have is a tool called NXLog. And it's, it's free open source. You can pull it down. It's really easy to deploy via GPO as well to windows and it supports encryption, um, GELF, like anything you can think of. And you can, you can break it down via event IDs too. So if you only want to be shipping certain event IDs to your uh, central log server, or whatever, you can even break it down that far. So I would say if anyone's ever like checked it out, definitely, definitely worth looking into. But when you were talking about, um, like, fresh outs. Um, my final point really comes down to manpower when it comes to all this crap. Because, like, if you if you are literally the only person on the mission handling all of this stuff, you, you can't feasibly be building these systems, doing, like, your sysadmin roles and everything like that, and then also, like, monitoring all of these logs. You just, there's not enough hours in the day.
1: I might even do a whole episode about this stuff or something because analyst fatigue is real Mm. you can't pay attention to all of the things let alone examine all of it you see a lot of very common tendencies you see people only monitoring the things that are easy to look at or things that they're familiar with but um well i'm again trying not to get too too deep into into every little thing but Mm -hmm. these tools this centralized logging and all the filtering you're talking about and aggregation in the front end and the ability to alert on the specific things that you care about, act as a force multiplier. Yeah, And again, one of the projects that uh, part of the split uh, project that I'm working on right now is about distilling everything down to a number of events that are relatively high confidence. And part of that from a overall management point of view is saying, Hey, You've told me you care about these things. I can show you that I'm getting however many of them. Let's pick an easy round number, 100 a day. Uh And an analyst can root cause 10 of them every day, Uh which means I need 10 analysts. I need 10 Uh analyst days worth of time in order to analyze that. I've been in plenty of socks that haven't been able to make a statement like that because they can't quantify the number of events that actually require that level of analysis.
0: On top of that, like there's a the whole separation of duties.
1: Yes. That's a great point.
0: You don't want this as admins viewing all of the security logs. Like you want to separate that. But I will say like on a lot of missions that I've been on, like there's only like maybe two sysadmins admins for an entire mission and that's it. There's no SOC. Yeah. There's no budget for a SOC.
1: Well, at the very least at that point, like, I believe for system logs that the admins should be able to see all of the logs, but they shouldn't be able to have access to change them. That's a really important part. And it gets glossed over in some of this stuff, but you don't really have, I mean, we all talk about Bitcoin and blockchain. Mm-hmm. The big thing about when people talk about blockchain with logs, what they're talking about is ability to see if logs have been edited we don't generally get that with the logging infrastructure that we've been using for the past few decades yeah. you have to add a component to add that kind of uh of verifiability to the whole system mm. and with something when you're doing things with flat files with, you know syslog or even windows event logs you can't tell what you might be missing under the right circumstances Yeah, exactly. Uh, under the right circumstances is just my way of getting out of here all the <laughs> possibilities of what you could do to, 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 to monkey with some of the logs.
0: Yeah. And I will, I will say like, even on that point, then didn't you add in just the applications you might be using? And we have a lot of like homebrew applications that like mm-hmm. move files around and they move files around by say, like just SCPing those files from system to system. And they are doing that like, literally hundreds of times um, per minute, if not more. So when I first set up a centralized logging, I was like, oh, like this would be a really cool thing I could show the security officer is like, look, I have a, an alert set up to monitor uh, SSH logins. And if I see like, you know, more than 50 logins mm-hmm. an hour or whatever, that'll like raise eyebrows because we don't have that many users and it shouldn't be yeah. like, you know, that going on. I, I hit that alert within uh, a second of creating it. And when I look through the logs, it was like, oh, it's our one software application is yeah hitting this log constantly. And I could I could filter that out and aggregate that in a different way. But again, that's that's more manpower. And yeah, like you said, you run into the fatigue of just like, well, whatever, I'm not even like screw it, I'm not even gonna have this.
1: I'll tell you what, let's make part two of this talking about tuning your log sources because there's I think there's a lot to go into when and how to do that. We could talk about that a little bit offline.
0: Yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, I will end with this point. Pay your sysadmins and have, have more of a budget for your sock. <laughs> we need money. Yeah. We're starving.
1: Well, you know, it's not a profit center.
0: <laughs> exactly. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs 1 on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon. Thank you.